Welcome to today's Bible study with Pastor Josh Tice. The next time you're in Las Vegas, we'd love to meet you in person at Southern Hills. If you happen to watch us regularly, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and consider sharing this video with a friend. You can support the ministries of Southern Hills by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab. Now, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn how the Bible is relevant in your life today. Microphone, and we're ready to go. Luke chapter number 10 is the text today. We're excited that some of you made your way actually into the service today. I don't know if you know this. Giant party outside called Kids Fest. They're giving away cotton candy, hot dogs, and and uh, candy and, and, and things that rot your teeth. I don't know how it is that you have possibly made it into this room with all of this going on out there. But I'm excited about Kids Fest because it's presented to you by Kidopolis, our children's program, which is a lot of fun. And, uh, and to celebrate Kids uh, Fest today, we have so much for you. Just enjoy yourself as you go out there today. But in here today, Luke chapter number 10, today we're going to be studying the story of the Good Samaritan in a sermon series entitled, The Art of Being Unordinary. And last week we said, we want to break the mold. We don't want you to be the random, ordinary person uh, that the world wants to mold you into, but we want you to break out of that mold. And in today, we have a sermon entitled, Unordinary. And specifically, mercy, the unordinary superpower. Luke chapter number 10, verses 30 and following. I'm going to read the text, and you follow along. Now, there's more to the story than what I'm about to read, and we're going to study it in a moment. But first, I want you to read with me one of the most famous passages in all of the Bible. Luke chapter number 10, verse 30 through 35. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he had arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him there, he had compassion on him. And so he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him in his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the chance to be able to study the word of God together. We're thankful for this passage that has been around for now 2,000 years. This story of the Good Samaritan that has inspired so many acts of compassion, kindness, mercy, gentleness, that we ourselves would be reflective of this spirit This is our prayer today, but even more so that you would help us to understand the meaning of the text, the context of what was going on in the midst of this story, and the great power that we have to represent you in this world. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So I... uh, 
I, I don't know about you, I saw another superhero movie again this week. That's right, I went out and saw the most recent superhero movie and I realized something about these superhero movies. Pretty much all superheroes have the exact same superhero powers. I mean, they're all invincible, they're all super strong, bullets bounce right off of them, they can fly, they have super strength, they are invincible in almost all ways. And, and I think the more I see of these superhero movies, a lot of them seem to be incredibly similar to one another. And then I had a thought, what is a unique, unordinary power that a lot of these people may not have? Like if I were to pick a power, would it be one of the ones that are so common or one that may be unordinary. And I thought of a very unordinary, a very unusual superpower that God displays as the all divine creature. I should say all divine being that he truly is. And it's not a power that is often celebrated. It's not an ability that is often applauded, but it is the single character trait of God that allows you and I to even know who he is. And that is the superpower of mercy, the ability of compassion, his strength to show sympathy and empathy in a way that is supposed to be reflected by his own creation. And that's what the story today is all about. The power of empathy, the power of sympathy, the power of mercy, the power of compassion. Why is this so unique? Because we are surrounded by human beings who really have a struggle to show empathy and compassion. Do we not? How many of you are like, um, how many of you are like me, Josh? Sometimes it's not easy for me to show compassion to those I disagree with. How many of you are like Josh? Can you get an amen right there? All right, some of you are like it. How many of you are like my grandma? And you say, what are your grandma? See, my grandmother was a beautiful person a very kind and loving person on most days. Who, who here can relate with that? Most days, you're a kind and compassionate person. Can I get an amen? And then most days, some days, you don't want to cross grandma. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was sitting and watching the news with my grandmother. I, I don't remember what year it was, late 80s, 1988, 1989, something like that. And I'm sitting there watching the news with my grandmother, and I'll never forget something. It just rings in my mind. She's sitting there with a green carpet on her, on her, on her, uh, in her living room, and she's sitting on her lazy boy. She's watching the news, and I'm playing with Legos, and all of a sudden, she just goes, she looked down at me square in the eye and said, it's a good thing I'm not God. Good thing I'm not God. I mean, it really threw me. I'm like, what does that mean? Good thing I'm not God. Some of you know exactly what it means because you've thought the exact same thought. She said, it's a good thing I'm not God. And I looked up, I said, why? And she said, because there'd be a lot of dead people around here. <laughs> it's very kind. She's very kind, mostly very sweet, you know, but like you don't want to cross grandma on the wrong day. Have you ever felt that way a little? Have you ever felt like maybe the, the greatest power that you can display is compassion and empathy and love and sympathy, mercy upon those who may not deserve mercy, grace upon those who may not deserve grace, and in reality, this is so unusual, unordinary. Why? Well, because what is normal is cruelty. What is commonplace is brutality. What is ordinary is 
is deserved punishment. But mercy, mercy is truly unordinary. And it's the unordinary power that God displays to us. And it's the unordinary character trait he asks us to display to others. All wrapped up in this story that we're about to read. And I propose to you the big thought for today is that mercy, mercy, mercy is the ticket into heaven. Mercy, the ticket into eternal life. And, and not that you need to show mercy in, in, in order to get into eternal life. It's that God needs to show you mercy in order to get into eternal life. So I'm going to say, what's the ticket? You say mercy. What's the ticket? Mercy. What's the ticket? If I want to enter eternal life, instead of peering over the gates of heaven one day, instead of peeking through so I can see what's on the other side, if I want to enter eternal life, the ticket is God's mercy on my soul. You say, well, why would I need mercy, pastor? Well, you need mercy when you finally understand the reality of the danger of your immortal soul with the sin that you and I all have. And so when you see that, you need a merciful savior. Now, if you wanna know what the ticket to eternal life is, then if you wanna know what it costs to actually gain eternal life, then you've found yourself in a very good passage because that's exactly what Jesus is asked by an individual here. Look at what it says in Luke chapter number 10 and verse 25. How do I gain eternal life? Well, it says in verse 25, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and testified to him. Or a certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus. A certain lawyer says to Jesus, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you're a lawyer, there's no chance. It's just a joke, it's a joke. It's a joke, I'm just kidding. Because he's a lawyer and you know, the jokes, Lawyer jokes, their thing. I don't, okay, whatever, let's move on. I, I have friends who are lawyers. I'm I, I call them when I'm in trouble. Okay, all right, here it is. So a lawyer says to Jesus, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus' response, point number one of today's sermon, Jesus' response is number one, pay the price. If you want eternal life, you gotta pay the price. You want a ticket, you gotta pay. You wanna get in, there's a cost. You say, what's the cost to eternal life? Well, let's see what Jesus says the cost to eternal life is. Look what he says in verse 25. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Basically, he's saying, look, I'm a pretty good guy, pretty important person around here, pretty wealthy individual. Tell me how much it costs, and I'll pay. I need a mansion on the corner. I need streets of gold. I want angels singing. I want the forgiveness of sins. I want the cleansing of my soul. The whole kit and caboodle, give me a price tag. And Jesus says in verse 26, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Jesus was a rabbi, a teacher like I am in the Jewish context. And one of the rabbinic ways of teaching was to ask a question when a question is asked of you. Instead of just responding with an answer, Jesus would ask a question back. You do this with your own children, right? Like when your children come to you and they're like, can I have $50? And you look at them and say, when are you going to get a job, right? So that we do the same thing today. So the rabbinic method was, method was when you're asked a question, ask a question back. Jesus, what should I do to earn and inherit eternal life? Jesus' question to him was, what does the Bible say? What does the Old Testament law say? Now, why does he ask about the law? Well, because he was a lawyer. He was a producer of the law. He was a arbiter of the law. 
He was an attorney. Now, the law he was following was not American law. He would have been following the Jewish law of the day. And because they lived in a theocracy, what is a theocracy? It's a stable society that follows a religious law. We don't live in a theocracy. Now, some of you might think I would like to. Friend, you do not want to live in the theocracy. You do not want to live in theocracy until Jesus Christ is the King of kings, Lord of lords, during the millennial kingdom of the reign of Christ. Uh, the best chance you have right now is a place like a republic in a democracy like we currently have. But nonetheless, they lived in a theocracy, which means everybody not only had to follow the laws of the land, they had to follow the ceremonial laws, the religious laws. And if you didn't, you'd be in trouble. Who is the person you'd be in trouble with? Well, the lawyers of the day. The lawyers copied the law to make sure everybody followed all the religious laws specifically. And if you didn't, you would be in big, big trouble. So he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, how shall I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what does the law say? And these lawyers were experts in the law. Remember, these lawyers at the time, they had, the, what was the law? What we call the Pentateuch or the Old Testament five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Have you ever tried to read Leviticus? You're like, I'm going to read through the whole Bible. I'm going to read the whole thing. In Genesis, and you're like, Exodus is pretty good. And then you get to halfway through Exodus, and you're like, uh, what's Leviticus got? John. And you go all the way to John, you know? You ever do that? <laughs> Leviticus, there's a lot there. They didn't just read Leviticus. They had it memorized. They had the entirety of the Old Testament law memorized. So Jesus said, you want internal life? What does the law say? And what do you, what's your interpretation of it? Well, the man looked back and he said to Jesus, he said to Jesus, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's pointing back basically to Deuteronomy 6 and following. And he said, uh, if I want eternal life, the law says I need to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength, and I need to love my neighbor as myself. And uh, so basically he says, if I want eternal life, I got to obey the law. Pretty good, right? And uh, Jesus replies and said, you have answered rightly. Do it and you will live. Do you see the dialogue? It's very simple. It doesn't take a, a Bible scholar to understand what's going on. A lawyer comes to Jesus and says, what do I need to get eternal life? Jesus says, what does the law say? He says, love God perfectly and love everybody around you all the time. Love your neighbor. Jesus says, good, do it, and you'll have eternal life. Say, that's it? Yeah, that's it. That's all it takes. All you have to do is love God perfectly throughout your entire life, love all of your neighbors for the rest of your life perfectly, and you'll have eternal life. Good to know. God bless. See you next week. <laughs> so how you doing? Like, how you doing with that? Like the whole love God thing. Now, if I were to say, if I were to say, how many of you love God, say amen. Most everybody would be like, amen. And then I say, no, I didn't hear you. How many of you love God? Say amen. Even the reluctant people be like, amen. You know, we all love God. So do you love God perfectly? Like, have you ever had a moment where you did not love God as much as you love something else? Have there ever been a time in your life where you loved a relationship more than God? Has there ever been a time that you loved something above God? 
Have you ever loved to spend time with the fellowship of Saint Pillow and Saint Mattress more than you love God? You know what I mean? Like I do, I'll tell you. Like if I could choose right now, I would be asleep in bed. Sorry, folks, not with you, right? So you're like, oh man, pastor's just like me. I don't want to be here either, right? Amen. If you've ever loved anything more than you love God, you have not loved God perfectly. How about your neighbor? You say, which neighbor? (laughs) You know, exactly, and that's what the guy says. Like, who's my neighbor? Look, he says, have you, so go and do this with your entire life, go and you'll have eternal life. But the guy says to Jesus, wanting to justify himself, who is my neighbor? Basically, the guy wants to know, how much will it cost me? Give me the whole bill, like bottom line it for me, mansion in heaven, streets of gold, angels, maybe a little chariot, and I wanna make sure that all my sins are forgiven and that God loves me and that I'm in heaven forever. Tell me total cost, what's it gonna cost? And Jesus says, perfection, pay the price, perfect, be perfect. If you're perfect, you get in. So how perfect is perfect? Like, how much does that cost? My 1991 Dodge Caravan broke down. Shocker. I was 25, maybe 26 years old at the time, and, um, and I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? I got to get this thing fixed. And uh, I was new back to Las Vegas. So I was born and raised in Vegas, but I moved to Florida for college, came back here, and my car broke down. It had like, I don't know, 240 million miles on it. And I was ready. It was one of those college cars that just lasted you. And so I I took it to the, I didn't know much about mechanics and I didn't know a lot of the mechanics. So I'm like, I'll take it to the dealership. So I'm gonna take it to the Dodge dealership in town. And uh, I take it to the Dodge dealership. And when I do, I I pull it in and and the guy says, it's gonna be like six hours, but they're gonna fit. I'm like, oh man, I have nowhere to go. And I have a ride. I'm just, I'll just stay here. So I did. I, I started walking around the Dodge dealership. And when I did, I walked by the brand new, beautiful, cherry red, white stripe down the middle, Dodge Viper. And the moment, thank you. And I liked it too. And the moment I did, I, I, I thought about my Dodge Caravan and I felt like I was cheating, you know what I mean? But it's fine because I hated my Dodge Caravan and this was a beautiful, beautiful car. And so I just stood there by it, I stood there. I stood there and I just admired the beauty of this brand new, beautiful Dodge Viper. It was like a dream car, like a dream car. And you'd be shocked. I had no salespeople approach me, not one, not one. Which was weird because I had been to the Hyundai dealership and they just were all over me. But nobody came to talk to me. In fact, I I, I started being a little conspicuous about it. Like I was there for a long time. So I I stood by the front of the car where where the salespeople would walk by and I'm like, (laughs) right? Am I right? Am I right? They just walk right by. So finally, I literally, I I remember it clear as day. I, I said to one, I said, hey, so, hey, so how much? And the guy looked at me and he said, are you serious? You know that feeling of like wanting to prove that you have more than you actually have? I'm like, you don't know me. And I'm like, give me the price. And he said, he said, 72,000 flat rate MSRP. 72,000. Now, I was a pastoral intern making $21,000 a year. So I said, not bad, not bad, not bad, not bad. I said, how about a test drive? 
He said, how about a credit check? I said, never mind. No, don't worry about it. It's messed up, right? Like, what? Well, he would not allow me to drive this beautiful thing. Why? Because he knew the reality that you knew at the time. He could have said 72,000. He could have said 720,000. He could have said 7.2 million. It would have all meant the same to me. I didn't have the, I didn't have the money. I didn't have the price. I didn't have what it would take. This guy says to Jesus, what's it gonna take for me to buy eternal life? And Jesus essentially looks at him and says, you can't afford it. Forgiveness of all your sins? Let's be honest, how many sins do you have? Eternal glory? Like a, a mansion in heaven and streets of gold? You want to earn that from God. You want to impress God. You want to walk before God, and this is the perspective of most religious people, and show off how great you are in front of God. And then you're going to say, by the way, I'd like to buy one of your plots. Really? You're going to buy a plot in heaven from God as a religious person, because deep down in the darkness of your heart and the darkness at night, you know how good you are and how much you deserve it. Am I right or am I wrong? And so Jesus' whole point is to say, bro, good luck. So if I have to be nice to all my neighbors, like, can you define neighbor? <laughs> and that's exactly what he says. And so Jesus tells a story to define what a neighbor is. Number one, you have to pay the price if you want eternal life. Number two, you have to ask the question. Say, ask what question? Ask this question as I walk through the story. Who am I? Who am I in this story? Because in the story of the Good Samaritan, there are four individuals that are discussed. The first person is a traveler who gets beat up, bloodied, and is dying in the streets. We'll call him the dying guy. The dying guy. I'm going to say number one. You say the dying guy. Number one, the dying guy. The, the second person is a, um, is a priest. He's a religious leader. I'll say second, you say religious leader. Second, the third person is a Levite. He was like an assistant to the priest, an assistant to the regional priest. That's who he was. He was a, a Levite, Levite. I'll say Levite, you say helper to the priest. Levite. And then the fourth person is a guy called the Samaritan. The Samaritan is the merciful savior in the story. I'll say Samaritan, you say merciful savior. Samaritan. So in the story, you have to ask the question, which one am I? Let's go ahead and look at the story. The story begins in verse number 30. Again, Jesus answered and said, you wanna know who your neighbor is? I'll tell you a story. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves. Well, this story would make sense to the day and age of these individuals. He's talking about a route a lot of people drive a route a lot of people go. It was from town to town. Like I might say to you, I was driving down to Los Angeles and you'd be like, oh, I know exactly the way. I've been down to Los Angeles, back and forth, so have you. Many, many times, Las Vegas people go there, LA people come here, back and forth, back and forth. It was a similar type of path, but this is what the path looked like. This is a, a typographical survey of what it would look like. Look, look right here, Jerusalem would have been in the top regions, in the mountaintops. And anytime you see in the Bible where it says, and they traveled up to Jerusalem, even if they're traveling from the south or from the north, from the east, from the west, they always say they traveled up. Why? Because it was in a high mountain plain uh, range area. 
And so to get to, Jer to Jericho, you would have to travel east down the mountain slopes, down below sea level, all the way very close to the Dead Sea in the Jordan Valley, the Jordan River. And there was Jericho, the ancient city, thousands and thousands of years old, even in the day of Jesus. It was a very old city. And so this path was well-worn. This is what it would have looked like for them as they traveled. Oh, let's get, you gotta turn off, tell them the music. There, there, sorry about that, all right. This is what it would have looked like. This is literally video of the path between Jericho and Jerusalem, or from Jerusalem down to Jericho. You can walk it even to this day. Now, whenever you go to Israel, if you ever go to Israel with Heather and I, we actually drive from Jerusalem down to Jericho over to the Dead Sea and see a, a several sites down there near Masada. And as you drive, you can look over from the bus multiple times and see this ancient path all the way down to Jericho. This is exactly the place that these guys would have traveled. So let's go back to that, that picture of what it was looking like from a, from, there it is. All right, now as we look, the Bible says that this guy is traveling down there. Now, as you could see in the video, there were a lot of crevices. There are a lot of outcroppings of rocks. There are a lot of places where people could stay, hide, and they could pounce on weary travelers that did not know they were coming. Gangs were known to hide within these areas, and they would jump upon individuals who were traveling alone, steal their money, beat them up, and many times kill them. Now we arrive in the story, as Jesus says, there was a guy who was walking this dangerous road, fell among thieves, they stripped him of his clothing, they wounded him, and they left him there half dead. Now here's a dead, or nearly dead, bleeding, naked uh, guy that's on the side of the road. He needs mercy. He needs help. Verse 31. Now by chance, a certain priest, this is the second character, a religious leader, he came down the road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. This priest enters the story and you would think the religious leader would be the one who would help this needy soul. But does he help? No. Well, maybe that's because he's too busy. Maybe what he really is on his way to help other people. And so fine, we give him the benefit of the doubt. He goes on to help somebody else. And a third, a third person enters the story. Third person is the Levite. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked. Notice this. The Bible says the priest just walked by. The Levite, who is an assistant to the priest, came and actually looks at the guy. And is like, I don't think so. That's uh, not my problem. And he walks by. Have you ever seen those videos passed around social media where you see somebody get beat in the street and then they're just lying there and then people are just driving by and walking by and nobody helps? That's exactly the scenario here. No compassion, no care. Maybe they were concerned. I don't know if I touch the guy, maybe he'll sue me. I don't know if I try to help the guy, maybe I'll be attacked too. I don't know if I reach down and touch him, maybe I'll get bloodied myself. Like, I don't want to mess with this scenario. And, and we inherently, right now, you and I inherently kind of understand a little bit of that. You're like, if I, if I get involved, what does that involvement look like? So I got to kind of stay out of this situation. And so now in the story, suddenly, as Jesus tells this story, as a master storyteller, he puts a twist in the middle of the story. A fourth person comes through. He's a Samaritan. Now, Samaritans... Samaritans of the day, by the community Jesus was talking to, they hated the Samaritans. 
They had racial problems with the Samaritans. They had political issues with the Samaritans. They had religious problems with the Samaritans. They had problems with the Samaritans that went back literally 600 years. The Samaritans hated the Jews and the Jews hated the Samaritans. And there was this big fight they had going on. And so Jesus, in the middle of the story says, now a fourth person comes and that person is the Samaritan. And look, he says, but a certain Samaritan journey, and he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. The person you would least expect. Don't you love it when a good story has a good twist? You didn't see it? How many of you hate watching a movie, and as you watch, you're like, I know where this is going. You're like, I could write this stuff. You know what I mean? But then a good story has a good twist in it. Like, like when you find out that Darth Vader is Luke's father. Oh, when you find out Bruce Willis was alive the whole time. Now you're like, spoiler alert, it's been out for 30 years. What's your problem? <laughs> That's right, isn't it? Or you find out that it's Prince Hans who is the bad guy the whole time. Ah! Right? You didn't see that coming. You were not watching close enough. That's what I'll say right there. Twist in the story. This is what Jesus does. Jesus, in the middle of the story, twists it and says, now the good guy is not the priest. The good guy is not the priest helper. The good guy is the Samaritan because the Samaritan showed compassion. Now, as he shows compassion, what does he do specifically? Look, he goes on. So he went down and he, uh, he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him in his, on his own animal. And he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And on the next day when he departed, he, he took out two denarii, and he gave it to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him. Whatever more you spend in trying to help him, I will come again and repay you. No matter how much it costs to save this person, I will pay the cost, says the good Samaritan. Why is this such a shock? Because they lived in a day where cruelty was the norm, brutality was commonplace deserved punishment was ordinary. This man didn't need a priest looking down on him. This man didn't need a religious person looking at him and walking by. This man needed a, a merciful savior. Who are you in this story? Who, who are you in this story? I was a children's pastor for years. That's why we love things like like Kidopolis and, and Kids Fest. I love teaching kids. And when you would teach this story to kids, it's very simple. You teach them just a simple story about, you know, a nice man we call the Good Samaritan and he goes around helping people. And you can be a nice person too going around helping people. It's a nice story with a nice vibe. And we should help people. But friend, there's a deeper understanding when you understand the context of the story. There's a deeper dialogue going on where the lawyer who says to Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Be perfect? How perfect? And the answer is, pal, you can't afford heaven. Friend, you're not the good Samaritan in the story. You're the bloodied and beaten man in the road that needs a merciful savior to come save your soul. That's who you are. And until you get to a place where you're ready to receive the mercy of God, you will never enter the kingdom of God. 
Eternal life isn't yours because you give mercy. Eternal life is yours when you receive mercy. Has there been a day in your life where you repented of your sins and received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Has there been a day in your life where you've received the grace of God and the mercy of God? Say, what is the ticket to heaven gonna cost me? I'll tell you what it's gonna cost you. You either pay the price by being perfect or you receive the mercy of Jesus Christ. And that's point number three, three. Receive the mercy from Jesus Christ, who is the despised Good Samaritan. Look at what it says in verses 36 and 37. So Jesus ends the story. So he says to the lawyer and all those listening, which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Jesus, hey, Jesus, can you tell me, how do I get to heaven? How do I earn eternal life? Be absolutely perfect. Um, in what way? Well, you know, like uh, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Can you define neighbor? He defines neighbor. Now, who do you think was neighbor? Now, look at what the man says. The man says back to him, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Jesus says, that's right. Go and be that merciful. So do you see in the next verse what happens to the lawyer? Do you see what happens? Do you see in your Bible? Do you see what happens? Does it tell you? No, the story just ends. This is one of the most fascinating things in the Bible. There are so many stories that just end. There's no, they don't tell you what happens to the lawyer. In fact, this last week, whenever I was walking through this passage with one of the pastors, his name is Jason, and I walked through it with Jason, and he said, so what happens to the lawyer? Don't you hate it when people tell a story and they don't tell you the end of the story? Don't you hate that? Like that happened last week in our church service. I told a story, I was sitting in the back of a truck with my son and we're on our way through the jungles of Vanuatu and there was gonna be a meal they were gonna serve. How many of you remember that story? You remember? How many of you remember that story? And did I finish the story, yes or no? No. I had multiple people say, what happened when you got there? And throughout history and throughout all cultures, one of the best ways to actually tell a story is to tell the story and then leave off the ending. So what happened in that, I'm never gonna tell you. No, I will, I will, I will tell you, I'll tell you. We went all the way up into the jungles of Vanuatu. And when we arrived there, they don't have in the, uh, in the village we went to individual kitchens inside of their little homes. They have a communal kitchen, no walls, a big room, a big room right there in the middle of the village, uh, just, a, just a roof. And then they have several different communal ovens, not like the oven you're thinking of in your home, but different types of uh, uh, ovens. Ovens that would be um, uh, commonplace uh, throughout history. And, and the, the villagers would all gather together right there in that communal kitchen. And they would cook together throughout the afternoon. So by the evening time, the meal was ready for the entire village. And the village would come together and we ate. And my son and I, we sat there after the church service. And nearly the entire village came in to see this amazing church, uh, this, this church service and these visitors from, from another country. And it was a really cool moment to preach the gospel and talk about Jesus. And then afterward, we went to this place. We sat down and, and they brought us, not on a plate, they didn't have the plates, but they brought us on, on, on banana leaves, giant big banana leaves. You opened up. And inside, my son was like a little nervous, you know? We opened up, and inside, I asked, you ask my son to this day, he'll tell you it was one of the best meals of his life. 
the most amazing grain. It wasn't rice, but it was like some rice. And this amazing chicken and these other vegetables that they had that they would grow in their gardens. And we ate, ate, ate oh, so very good. Say, that's the end of the story? Yes. Was it satisfying? Not a great end of the story. We ate and we, ha- we liked it. The end. One of the things storytellers like me have done for thousands of years is tell a story without an ending so that you ask the right questions. Such as, what happened to the lawyer? And the answer is, it doesn't matter. Wait, the lawyer wanted to know, how do I get eternal life? Did he ever get eternal life? Doesn't matter. The question is not about whether or not he gets eternal life. The question is, do you? The reason this text is left for us is so that you can wrestle with and ponder the questions of your eternal soul. You say, well, I'll get eternal life, I'll earn it. Good, here's how to do it. Be perfectly good to God and perfectly good to other humans for the rest of your life, never sin, and you paid the price. Is there an option B? Yes, there's an option B. Admit you'll never have enough money to buy that viper. Some of you still thinking about the viper. It's a joke. Admit you'll never have enough goodness, righteousness. You'll never have enough truth. You'll never have enough righteousness to earn salvation. Instead, realize that your sin has put you in a place of bloodied and beaten and in despair. And the only way you will ever be able to enter eternal life is not based upon your goodness but based upon the mercy of Jesus Christ coming and saving your soul and if you can get to a place where you understand who you really are and who he really is and that he's the one that can save you not you saving him when you can get to that place all you have to do is repent of your sin and say oh God I can't save myself I have more sin than I could ever pay for the few good works that I've ever done, they're like, they're, like, they're like filthy rags before you. So God, I'm asking you, would you save me? Would you be my good Samaritan? Would you bring me to heaven when I die? And the Bible tells us the moment you repent of your sin and receive Christ, you'll be, you'll be saved. So what happens to the end of your story? What happens with you? Oftentimes, many times throughout my life, I've talked with Christians, people who come to the church, those who call themselves religious and call themselves not religious. And as I've talked with them, they really wonder if they've ever been saved. Especially those who are religious like this lawyer. They think to themselves, well, it's not that I didn't believe in God, I do believe in God. It's not like I was a wicked person who killed people. So how do I get saved? And what I've noticed with individuals is that the way life works to gain eternal life is to understand that God has been slowly and patiently working on you and drawing you to himself to a point of salvation. He has been working on you. You may have not cursed God and hated God, and, 
But the problem is not that you've been cursing God and hating God. The problem is you have never repented of your sin and received Christ as Savior. So what happened to you when you were 10? And what happened to you when you were 15? And that moment you prayed over somebody when you were 22? And that time you got on your knees and God answered your prayer when you were 35? All of those were wonderful moments that God touched your life, but you've never yet repented and received Christ as your Savior yet. So I, I wonder, I wonder, can you point to a moment in your life that you were bloodied and beaten on the ground, metaphorically speaking, where you understood that your sin was gonna drag you to hell, but that Jesus Christ was your only way to heaven? Can you remember a moment in your life you understood the gospel, you repented of your sin, and you received Jesus as your savior? Can you remember that in your life? Or is it possible that all the things God has been doing in your life has been to draw you to this moment of salvation? that the moment of salvation for you is not in the past, but is still yet to come. Is it possible that today is the day of your salvation? It's funny, after the service at 8.30, I sat up here as people left. I'm gonna do the same after this service as well. And I'm gonna invite anybody who's not sure if heaven is their home, not sure they've been saved, they're not sure they're gonna to go to heaven when they die. I'm gonna invite you to come just talk to me one-on-one, -on -one. very casual. I did it after the first service and, and a man came up to me after about waiting for like seven or eight minutes and he kind of like skulking in the back and finally he came up and talked to me. He said, hey, can I talk to you? I said, sure. He said, um, I'm one of those guys. I said, what do you mean? He said, I know I believe in God, but I, I need to get saved. I said, awesome, man, let's do it. We went to a back room and I showed him from the Bible how he could be saved and right there, he said, God's been leading to this moment but right there in that moment, he repented and received Christ as his savior. Can, can I ask you a question? Is that what this has been all about for you? Is it your moment to receive Christ as savior? Or is that something you've already done? If it's something you've already done, I'm thrilled for you. But if it's something that hasn't yet been done, why don't you come forward after the service and talk to me? If there's a couple people, don't worry, I'll take your name. We'll go to Starbucks. We'll grab a cup of coffee and we can talk about how to get saved, okay? Let's close in prayer right now and then we'll go. We'll bow your heads, we'll pray, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the unordinary mercy that you show each and every one of us. And I pray, God, as we have been shown compassion and mercy, we would be so recognizing this, that we in, in ourselves in turn would show compassion and mercy to others. Thank you for the truth that you've given us in this passage. Help us to pass it on to others. In Jesus' holy name, we ask these things and pray. Amen. Thank you for watching Josh Tice's most recent Bible sermon. If you think of someone who may enjoy this one, go ahead and send it or post it today. If you're ever in Las Vegas on Sunday, we'd love for you to stop by Southern Hills and see us in person. If you benefit from this virtual ministry, we'd also like to encourage you to support our gospel efforts by sending a donation to the ministries of Southern Hills. You can do so by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab.